and welcome to the Lightfoot Podcast. This week, AJ Bond and I explore what is known as the master emotion, shame. He explains what it means to get discomfortable and outlines the evolutionary origins of the shame response. We also explore the conditions that led to AJ's own shame breakthrough and make sense of the connections between guilt, shame, and fear. We talk about ways to start working through the shame we're each carrying and propose that vulnerability is the real foundation for any kind of new global culture we wish to inhabit. It's all in there, folks. Hope you enjoy this time with AJ as much as I did. But first, a word from our new sponsor. Shame. Do you have it? Do you carry it around with you like a sordid little purse? Well, perhaps I, Smithington Cress, twelfth generation shame exorcist, can be of assistance. For just ten shillings an hour, I'll listen to every last one of your grubby, tawdry little secrets. No tale is too degenerate, no memory too debased. Renew yourself, cleanse your conscience, lend me your shame. This message brought to you by ShameCore, connecting you with the world's most arcane shame consultants. Call now for your free shame assessment. Proud sponsors of the Lightfoot Podcast. AJ, welcome to the Lightfoot Podcast. It's lovely to be here with you. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to start, I want to kick us off with a Brene Brown quote, because we're going to get there sooner rather than later. So I thought we might, we should get it out of the way to start with. <laughs> no one, it's a bit of a riddle. Let's see if people can guess what we're talking about. No one wants to talk about it. And the less you talk about it, the more you have it. That could be like a, a Lord of the Rings scene, couldn't it? Where, you know, Frodo doesn't get through the cave unless he answers this riddle. AJ, what's the answer to this riddle? <laughs> it's shame. Yes, it's shame. Um, I think that's actually a really potent little, little quote. I got that from your wonderful uh, podcast series you did a while back on shame, which I heartily recommend everyone check out on Discomfortable, um, the seven-part series that is... Yeah, it's beautiful. It's so well produced and so insightful, and it covers the topic like no other resource that I've come across just yet. So, um, yeah, firstly, I guess I want to thank you for putting that out into the world because uh, I've learned a lot from it. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Mm. Discomfortable. That's the name of the podcast. Um, what does it mean? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what it means to be discomfortable. For me, so much of how I used to deal with shame was avoiding it, which, um, as that Brene Brown quote suggests, is kind of actually allowing it to grow and control you. And a huge part of not avoiding shame is actually allowing myself to feel it, 
Mm-hmm. And it is uncomfortable. And so I've been trying to get comfortable with that discomfort for years now and with, you know, increasing degrees of success. So to me, getting discomfortable is sort of a playful combination of words to suggest discomfort that you are comfortable in. Mm. I really, I think it's a really powerful concept and it's actually a really... I'm going to I'm going to petition that it's like becomes a word. I think it's it's worthy. And I think it speaks to this like this idea of hormesis as well. Like each morning for about a month now, I have had it's winter here. I've had a freezing cold into my shower. Full to the cold, 2 minutes and it's discomfortable. It it hasn't gotten easier at all, but I'm getting more used to it. And I'm feeling, why have I waited till I'm 35 before I start having this direct relationship with this comfort? Because it's like, mm-hmm. there's so much in this. And mm-hmm. well, I'll tell you the full practice because it actually relates a lot to shame. It's pretty cool. Um, in that moment, before I switch the cold on, I drop into this like uh, character that I've created, which is this like symbolized version of my shadow self. And everything that I repress about myself, I've started to conceptualize. He's this kind of dark magician character. He's fairly ripped and tattooed and sexy <laughs> and just like badass. And he doesn't give a fuck about much. He's a bit of an asshole. He's fairly egotistical. He's still cool, though. Like, as in, like, I haven't turned him into a monster. It's just, like, the flip side of me. And I'm, like, I I use Mm -hmm. the cold as being, like, all right, I'm coming into you. This is your time right now. Like, you get to control the ship for this little period of time. And I've linked these two things. And... Yeah, it's quite a fun practice. Um, and so I'm slowly getting more and more discomfortable with it. And um, I guess the other interesting part of that is like, it doesn't really get easier is what I'm finding. And But it kind of does, if you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe you want to speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think, it, first of all, it's a perfect analogy mm-hmm. because I find like Wim Hof method, cold dunks, my body panics right away and says, get out of this cold. Yeah. And if I don't listen to that panic and stay, then my body's like, oh, well, actually, actually, this is okay after like a, an amount of time. And shame is so similar. Shame says to me, get out of this might be a social situation or might be some kind of mistake. It's just like danger, danger, run. But when I sit with it, eventually it calms down and it's like, oh, actually, we're fine. Like, Mm. nothing's wrong here. And so there really is this sense that the, the discomfort, it has to remain discomfort. But you start to kind of just calm down in the like arena of discomfort. Like that's, Mm. that's what happens for me. I feel like my system is panicking. I feel like I've been like splashed with something scalding. 
But then if I just sit with it, it's like, oh, I can actually still kind of think. Or another good metaphor is like, I've just been dunked underwater and I can't breathe and I can't see. But if I just like slow down, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you actually can kind of see underwater. And maybe I can't breathe, but it seems like I can hold my breath for a period of time. So there is this like spaciousness inside of discomfort in which you can operate. But yes, as you're saying, it is still discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. And it it links into this idea of parts as well, doesn't it? Because it's almost like we're having a direct experience of that part of ourselves that is trying to protect us and keep us safe, but is actually a little over the top with their protectiveness. Because it's (laughs) like what I'm going on with the cold there it's like dude turn this off get out dangerous death alarm and i'm like no actually not like this isn't gonna harm me at all like yelling protective coach figure (laughs) and so i guess it's like if we don't give into the shock of like the veracity with which that voice comes at us which is the same with shame right it's like escape bad leave situation and it's like i guess we have to just be like Okay. Yeah, I hear that. No, it's okay. And then the more you melt into it and yeah, it's one of these things that's like, I wish they taught me that at school type thing, you know, like it seems so Uh, fundamental, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I desperately wish I had some kind of emotional intelligence training in like elementary school, which is part of what motivates me to talk about shame. Yeah. And I, I, with shame, perhaps even more so than like cold water. When I listen to the message that says alarm, danger, do something, it tends to kind of actually like empower the shame in a way. Whereas Mm -hmm. when I really just say, well, actually I'm just going to stay here and feel it. And that is actually a place of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And that is the place I find from which shame passes the most smoothly Mm. it's like thank you for hearing me yeah and now i'm gonna go back to sleep until i decide i am next needed Mm. so like ironically by not like listening to the panic message something feels seen and transforms often Mm. i like that so if you were going to um symbolize or make a character out of your relationship to shame right now after the journey you've been on? Like if we're going to put a a character to this voice inside of you, is it like, is shame like a evil Pokemon? Is it a monster? Is it a friend? Like what does it look like or feel like to you right now? Is it broad, your whole relationship with it? Well, one thing that's coming to mind is that sometimes I think of shame as like this very lovable pathological liar Mm. And the timber of the lies is often like panic or like really mean disparaging comments about me. But this pathological liar, like I can tell that he loves me anyway. Mm. So there's sort of like the relationship now where like I want to hug the pathological liar, Mm. but I just don't believe anything he says Mm. per se. (laughs) You know, I just... I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. Or another way to look at it is, he says, like a baby, a baby that doesn't, that gets easily freaked out 
by social situations or mistakes or incompetency. And that baby just needs to like scream at me and have it out. And I like just sit with it and hug it until it's kind of like had its catharsis. Nice. But it's, it's, it's been a long road to not, and I still struggle with this, like demonize that baby or demonize that pathological liar. And, and essentially the danger of that is that I end up shaming the baby or I end up shaming the pathological liar. So it's like a part of me is shaming me and then I shame it right back. And that, as you can imagine, is not a useful way to kind of transcend shame. Don't shame the baby, AJ. That could be like a catchphrase. I like Don't that. shame the baby. Yeah. If we if we combine those things together, we get a suitably freaky nemesis. A a demon pathological lying baby. I like that. That's <laughs> but, gonna but be that's gonna I wanna love it. I want it to be an angel. That we love. That we love. That we love, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except. <laughs> Let's um I wanna hear your uh definition of the term like something that i've i've been delving deep into shame over the last month i've been super excited to do this podcast with you um and one thing i'm finding is it's a little confusing because there's a lot of different interpretations there's a lot of different definitions there's a lot of different understandings and it's this thing that we all have a really innate sense of so there's like Ah, I'm kind of already an expert on this, but I know nothing about it type quality. And then literally there are like uh, conflicting definitions of it yeah. around. So broadly, um, yeah. Do you want to expand a little bit on, on, on your understanding of, of shame and even a definition if you've got one? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel a little bit of shame because I have like never fully committed to one definition. So every time I get asked, it's sort of a spur of the moment, like, okay, well, let's see how it's going to come out this time. Like, <laughs> cool. And it, it really is such a, there are so many different ways and metaphors that you could look at shame mm-hmm. that it, it, there really are like, there really are different levels at which you could consider it. And I kind of love that there are so many of these different definitions because you learn something new with each one and it kind of helps to hold a bunch of definitions close because it's just that complex. Yeah. But I'm going to try to to see what comes out this time. Okay, awesome. And I guess like at, at the core of it, there's an unpleasant feeling that our body produces. Hmm. And our body produces that unpleasant feeling. I mean, there's several unpleasant feelings that our body produces, but the one that I am calling shame seems to be linked to when we sense some kind of danger, some kind of threat to our survival that we interpret as coming from us. So like, you know, that old ghost story at the end, they're like, the phone call's coming from inside the house. Yes. I think of shame as like, you could look at it as a form of fear, except Mm -hmm. the thing that's endangering, potentially endangering our survival is us. So it's, it's either some action I've done or some innate perceived quality about myself that is threatening my survival almost generally through some social means. So my body senses that I am doing something or that I am something that endangers my place and position in the pack. So it creates this unpleasant feeling to say, don't do that. 
which is to say either change that part of yourself or, and I think this is perhaps even more prevalent, just hide it. Yeah. Because we're a social animal, being part of the pack is core to our survival. So yeah. it is a survival need, even though it seems generally to be a social need. Does that make sense? How's that definition? How does that land for you with all I the different definitions you've read? Yeah, I, th I think that's pretty pretty solid and and kind of like the foundation upon which the other definitions get more specific and start to conflict i think that's a really useful way to frame it to be to make it simple because like yeah this gets complex quickly right so yeah. i guess the, yeah. the task we have is like to to delve through that but keep as simple as we can each step of the way so i think that's a good way to start isn't it like it's a feeling we have yeah. that arises that instructs us it seems to hide certain aspects of ourselves or behaviors is that kind of aligned yeah. with yeah yeah and and i think the the reason it gets extremely complicated is that i haven't yet talked about the cognitive side of shame hmm. which is how we interpret that feeling yeah and it's there that there can be this whole range of different definitions because some people will interpret that feeling based on their childhood culture and experiences as meaning that they are bad, that they are yeah. terrible, that they are worthless, that they are deficient. You know, the list goes on. Yeah. But other people might interpret it differently. They mm. might just say, oh, I made one mistake or I have a part of me that's problematic. So there, there is some real wiggle room. Well, it's more like, I think we've each been conditioned in slightly different ways. So for some people, shame really will be different because the story that comes up automatically to that feeling is very different than the story that comes up automatically when I feel that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets complex when we have each of our own individual psyches, psychological stories, reactions, behaviors, connections to, and that layers up over time. So uh, yeah, really... I mean, it's so complex because it ties into the very heart of what makes us us and yeah. humans and their psyche is about the most complex thing that we've found. So um, before we delve into that, I want to explore a little bit of the evolutionary origins of shame. And um, so if we've got a sense of it's this feeling of like, hide that behavior, not good. Um, where did that come from? And what purpose did it serve for us as, you know, Neolithic hunter-gatherers, Paleolithic mm -hmm. even, or before? Where, do we, where yeah. do we think shame kicked in? We're, where in our primate origins, you know? Well, I, I have, so there's like some generally accepted thoughts. Uh -huh. And then I have sort of like some of my own ideas. Um, like one way that I've been thinking about um, our emotions as, as kind of like potential motivators. So I'm imagining like way back many, many millions or billions of years ago, some kind of small proto mammal gradually evolving, uh, a pleasant sensation that attracted them towards things that it, its ancestors used to thrive and survive. And then there was another feeling that evolved, and perhaps it, maybe it was in the opposite order, an unpleasant feeling that its ancestors 
used to motivate themselves away from dangerous situations. Kind of like a yes feeling and a no feeling. Mm. And inspired by affect theory, which is this like theory of emotion created by Sylvan Tompkins. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks of shame as kind of, as if I understand it correctly, the switch from pleasant to unpleasant. Mm. So it's like, we think we are doing what we need to do to survive, but then suddenly we see some piece of information that suggests that we're not. And our body has to quickly do a, an, a, an, a motivational U-turn so that we stop feeling pleasant about what we're doing. Because if we keep, and this is where it gets kind of mind bending. If our body keeps making us feel pleasant, we're going to keep doing it. Even if we know that we shouldn't, you know, we'd like to think we're these rational beings who Mm. are like, I choose to do this because I know it's good. But actually, if my body is making me feel good, I'm going to keep doing the thing that I'm doing, even if it's harmful. Mm. So our body needs this powerful U-turn switch, this really unpleasant feeling that suddenly makes us want to run away. Wow. And the one version of that feeling is potentially shame. And and I think this is where the the fear-shame connection comes in. It's like Mm. sometimes we see a bear and fear comes up and says there's danger and it's external, you know, run away from it. And sometimes, as I said earlier, the danger appears to be inside of us. And that's a unique form of emotional U-turn that has to happen. And, and that, I think, is shame. Mm. There's danger and the danger is me. There's, mm. there's, I'm afraid of myself, kind of. So that's, that's one like version of potential history of it. Mm. And then I also want to look at, as you said, like the hunter-gatherer life is deeply social. That's mm. the key, is that we are a deeply social animal and a lot of researchers think that actually our core need is belonging. That's how social we are. Because yeah. food, shelter, survival, all of that is sort of like met within the context of belonging to a group. So when you think of a social animal experiencing uh, any disconnection or neglect or being rejected or judged that is a sign that it could die. It's You might be out of the pack. You That's sh- certain death. And so that's where shame comes in again to say, you need to belong to this group. The simplest explanation is that it's your fault. So I'm giving you some unpleasant sensations to motivate you to do whatever you can to fit in with the pack right here and now. And that was essential to our survival. It was essential to the survival of the, not just us, but the whole pack, because we needed to learn the norms that kept the pack safe as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if we kept leaving food out on the campsite every night, that would attract predators. Mm-hmm. So it was also within the best interests of the whole group to reject us if our shame couldn't keep us in line with the norms. So it's protecting everyone when you're a hunter-gatherer, including yourself. And then, of course, fast forward to now, the, perhaps the big problem is our survival is not really predicated on belonging to any specific group anymore, hmm. in the Western world at least. 
So me making a social faux pas is very unlikely to endanger my community and is very unlikely to endanger my life, even if they do reject me. So that's sort of like the difference now. Does that mm. make sense? It's sort of a long, yeah. suddenly no, like, no, no. is that long and rambly? That was great. I, I loved it. And before we delve into like that fascinating last piece of how we might actually be running software that we don't need to as much anymore, I, just a few thoughts on what you reflected on. Like, Firstly, like the the sorrow and tragedy I feel for that first organism that became reflective and that's almost the the beginning of the mind body split perhaps where it's like what it's doing and what it should be doing and some conflict between those two things almost it's almost some kind of hell realm depending how you look at it like before <laughs> that is like that you know that you could go with the whole eden myth you know but in other ways it, it also sets up for the complexity and self-reflexive amazingness which allowed us to become who we are so i mean i wouldn't trade it away but i'm also like oh that's a kind of tragic moment you poor little cute proto mammal like just don't go there you know what i mean just and then the well it's um, i think it's a very it's mm -hmm. it's actually a very profound point that you're making and i think it is something that has been posited by donald nathanson who wrote Mm -hmm. a book about affect theory called shame and pride Mm. and it's like if we're trying to survive and we need to notice that part of what's stopping us from surviving is us, our own actions. That does kind of create a self-awareness necessary to survive. So you might be absolutely right in that our whole sense of like consciousness and self-awareness might stem from needing to know when what we are is dangerous to us. Yeah. The beginning of neurosis, right? Like yeah. the first kind of... Woody Allen-esque loop of like kind of self-reflexive yeah. doubt. And, and it's, and it's a shame is a self-conscious emotion. It makes us like fear. It's the danger is external. So we, you know, we go quiet, we listen, our, our senses get heightened. We look around, but when the danger is inside and we go into shame, it makes us hyper self-aware. We're looking around inside. What did mm. I do? What's wrong with me? What could it be? So it really is like an emotion that makes us think about us yeah. and wonder, what am I? And is it good? Wow. Gosh, I hadn't considered it through that lens that it might even be the whole father and mother of the human condition as we know it. Talk about the fucking master yeah. emotion. Yeah, it's possible. And then, and, and then like the negativity bias comes up. Like, yeah. we, you know, the safest way to survive is to imagine the worst case scenario. So we become self-aware and then we imagine the worst about ourselves to survive. Yeah. (laughs) It's almost delicious when you then fast forward a little bit to the hunter-gatherer context and you think about the tribe that didn't have shame yet and was just like (laughs) failing compared to the neurotic tribes around them. Because I'm assuming that it's like from an evolutionary psychology perspective that it was beneficial i hope it's not just some error that got snuck in with the other emotions and like no no there's no know, it seems like yeah it's it's beneficial right so like it's funny to think that those doubting self-concerned like slightly policing each other and themselves tribe was more efficient it led to yeah. better teamwork and it's actually a really beautiful cohesive tool that can bond yeah. us together in really profound ways and yeah yeah, it's just, it's so fascinating. 
The Happy Tribe died. The Happy Tribe <laughs> didn't, died. didn't have a lot what of What did offspring. they do? There's so much comedy in that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So many little cartoons of like how shame but didn't funny. stop them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, gosh. I really, I really find that super fascinating. So um, let's turn now to your shame breakthrough. So fast forward two million years. Uh <laughs> Go through civilization, AJ emerges and he um he experiences quite a lot of shame, like like all of us do. Yeah. And he gets to, you know, a, a ripe, mature adult age, and then something happens. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, I'd like to I'd like to like start off by like there's there's a moment where AJ at twelve or thirteen just like senses into the fact that he actually is different hmm. than his family and his peers yeah in that he's gay and mm-hmm. it it doesn't seem like anyone else is this thing mm-hmm. and there's not like positive portrayals of this thing in the mm-hmm. media even in fact quite the opposite the, you know like at that age he's getting really strong messaging about this thing and so there really is like an actual difference and um, that creates a ton of shame in me that says you cannot be what you are. If anyone finds out, if you, if you allow yourself to be this thing, you will be rejected and like consciously or not, that equals death in my animal mm. brain. Mm. And pain, and it equals lots of pain, of course. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, shame wins in that moment. Mm. And I repress my sexuality to such a degree that I don't even know I'm gay for 10 years, even though it mm. did occur to me at one point. And then in my 20s, I society changes. Like over that 10 years, mm. culture completely changes. And Literally, like, months after gay marriage is legalized in Canada, I suddenly realize I'm gay. Wow. You know, I, don't, I don't see the connection at the time, but I'm suddenly like, hey, what? There's nothing wrong with this. You're right. I'm this. So that, that was, like, a big, you know, turning point. But the shame didn't change hmm. because that was wired into my brain at that point. It was really hmm. conditioned in. So I was accepting my sexuality and, and that was great. And it led to a lot of beautiful, like human connection with like other gay men, which was much, you know, needed, but it wasn't until again, another 10 years later that I realized I was still totally controlled by this message that I'm fundamentally flawed mm. and I need to do everything I can to make up for that. So mm. a lot of like, you know, as Brene Brown would say, hustling for worthiness. A lot mm-hmm. of like theories and strategies about the world that were completely based on this hierarchical view that like I was a bad person and some people were good people. Hmm. And I had all these big plans for how to prove that I was, was or could be one of the good people. And then I had a series of like, really difficult things in my life. Like my relationship started to crumble and my career I perceived as failing. And a friend of mine died of leukemia 
And I was like, I need to go to therapy. Like, this is really not working out. And some point in therapy, my therapist was like, I think what you're describing is shame. Hmm. And I was like, no, I don't get it. Like, how does that, what does that have to do with like all these big things? Hmm. And he gave the kind of distinction that Brene Brown uses and and some people use, but not everyone between shame and guilt Hmm. being, you know, shame is the feeling that I'm a bad person and guilt is the feeling that I did a bad thing. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm the feeling that I'm a bad person. I don't, there's no, I did a bad thing. It's Mm -hmm. always, I'm a bad person. So that just like, was like, wow. So I just started reading voraciously everything I could find on shame, Mm -hmm. this whole like journey. And within a couple of months, I remember like just having this breakthrough where I realized that like all of my theories about like what I needed to do to be a good person and why I was a bad person, they were all made up. Like they Mm. just, none of them were objectively true. And they were all just byproducts of the way I learned to deal with this unpleasant emotion Mm. that was telling me actually completely different messages. Shame wasn't saying you need to be a famous filmmaker. Shame was just saying, you know, try to fit in (laughs) or, you know, Mm. uh, she was just warning me when I had an idea of what I needed to be and it wasn't happening. That was all. Shane was like, well, you said you needed to be this. I don't know why you said it, but you did. So I'm assuming it's really important for our survival. And I just want you to know that you're not doing the thing you said that you would do to survive. Like that's, that's all shame wanted me to know. Mm -hmm. And when I had that kind of distinction and that realization it like created this big subject object switch where shame went from being me to being a part of me that was like its own thing. And all the messages that it was telling me became not my beliefs, but like these kind of fragments, (laughs) these byproducts of, of a system. And Mm. it just was like this huge wave of relief because I suddenly didn't have to, be shame and I didn't have to believe its messages. It was still painful, but it was just like, I felt blissed out for like a month. Mm. It was incredible. Beautiful. But then the shame came back and then there was a whole journey of learning to accept that even though I had kind of like had this breakthrough, my shame was here to stay. Wow. Thanks for sharing that story with us, AJ. So many little profound threads in that. One that leaps out to me is just the fascinating reflection that was so much shaped by culture and society. It further erodes this notion of the individual, which seems more and more like an illusion. And we so much are a product of what's happening around us. And that um, in some ways that timing is potentially incredibly fortunate for you and not. I mean, to begin with, that you're in a culture that doesn't allow you to be who you are or you've certainly felt that way. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, it shifts like in terms of like the whole of history, pretty 
pretty kind of cool that you got it yes. then and not when you're like 70 and maybe nowhere near as hot as you are now and you couldn't fully cash in on that like woohoo i am who i am you're um, very right you're very right yeah and it makes me wonder all the ways like the blind spot is what i'm pointing to in all of us of how much we think we are a product of our own you know free will or drive and so much it is just we are a wider part of the system. I'm reminded of Danella Meadows, the systems thinker I'm getting into at the moment. And it's like, yeah, where do you draw the distinction in a system? You you can literally get to this idea of oneness through rationality. And it's quite mystical and powerful. And your story is a really direct example of that. And hopefully a positive one. Because if we take that idea further, that means the surrounding culture is also priming you and us generally to have shame breakthroughs. So mm. we can take some heartening from that. But yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do feel a lot of appreciation as you say that, that mm. it really, it, 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 I was very lucky that things happened, that I was alive at the time I was alive. It could have been so much more, so much, you know, part of me does wonder, you know, there may be only so much shaming that we can really take. And I don't know that I could have had the empowering experience I had per mm -hmm. se, if I had been beaten down by shame for decades and decades more, if the culture hadn't have shift or shifted or if I hadn't have, you know, like you do, I think need some external help. So I, I don't want to um, make it sound like anyone can just go and have a shame breakthrough because it, it's going to look different for each person for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we come back to that fascinating idea of like shame is actually natural and part of us and very human and if we go back to like 12 or 13 years old where like you've got those strong impulses of shame, had you been empowered to just be like, ah, all right, it's like a cold shower. I can handle this for like a minute and then be like, eh, maybe I'm a little different. Maybe I'll find resources over here and, and flex into that. But it seemed like another voice appeared, another part, another character in the psyche went, you know, you can't be that. And it was more of a full shame, maybe even went to sleep a little bit. It had done its job. And this other persona of like, not that this crept in. And that's where it gets complex, right? Because it's like, we keep layering. Yeah, we were kind of we become our own jailer at that point. Maybe that's still shame. But yeah. I think that that it's kind of fun to have a slightly different. It doesn't need to go that way. It doesn't need to be chronic, I guess it can be acute. It, it's it's absolutely right. It doesn't need to be, and and I, it is a prison that we lock ourselves into by believing it. But it's a there's a very delicate line that we're writing here because on mm -hmm. the one hand, I do want to honor mm -hmm. that it was a prison that I bought into, and there was a there was choice there, though I didn't. It's like I want to honor that there's choice because now I can make new choices. Yep. It's not completely locked. But at the same time, I'll go into a lot of regret if I lean too far into, oh, it's my fault. I just like wasn't, you know, didn't didn't think properly or didn't didn't like wasn't confident enough. You know, at, at that age as a minor, these things are so overwhelming that I also have to kind of lean into a bit of the victim side and be like, it 
it was it would it was impossible for me to fathom like i just didn't have that information i didn't have that knowledge mm-hmm. you know and and can we just spontaneously create that knowledge in our own head like i don't know but mm. it certainly seems like we really do need a modeling from the outside sometimes to see that we can break out of these things to see that we can be loved. You know, sometimes we need someone else to show us that so that we can believe it and love ourselves. Yeah. So there's like a give and take again, because we're such a social animal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's beautiful to highlight that, right? Because otherwise we slip into that territory of like, change your life by your bootstraps, you know what I mean? And it's like, no, we could like, it's the system trauma. We could like what was going on at the time. And it's just deeper levels of understanding coming through as we do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a fascinating it's much, question. Much more powerful to, to focus on the present moment. Like what, what agency do I have with shame right now than to get too lost in what I could have or should have done in the past, because there's a lot of shaming that could happen there. Definitely. So yeah, let's hold, let's hold all of that together right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm going to exercise a bit of my own shame here. I too had confusion and shame around attraction to males throughout teenage years and adulthood. I used to be petrified that I was gay because of the repercussions of what that life path looked like. Um, Mm-hmm. And we're about the same age. I think I'm even a few years older. So it's kind of like, yeah, we're in a similar cultural context in the West, at least. And I used to be really ashamed of that. I used to not tell anyone about it. I was always into girls, but there was this feeling of like, am I gay? Because I was like quite in touch with my feminine side. And that haunted me through my 20s until the point I was with a partner where I'm like, I've got a, I, I, okay. So I, I had a chronic fatigue diagnosis from when I'm 17 and I kept seeing mm-hmm. all these healers and emotional, energetic healers, everything under the sun. And there'd always come this part in the session where they'd be like, is there anything deeply that you want to express or that's at the root of all this? And it would, my brain would always go straight to like, yeah, you're gay and you don't want to admit it. And I was like, bah! but I never did in those sessions because mm. it was too much. So I'm like, mm. I finally got to the point where I was felt resourced enough to be like, fuck this. I don't want, it's like, okay, like, well, let me explore it. So with my partner's um, good graces, which is awesome. We'd been together for some time at that point. We're really in love with each other. This is obviously a woman. We'd never hooked up with a guy before. Um, I went for it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go try it. And I went out wow. and I went out um, to a, a gay club and I had one of the most amazing nights gay clubs are so much fun when you're in that <laughs> vibe. Like I, yeah, just amazing. So inclusive. I mean, it might've just been the club. I might've got lucky, but it was like, yeah, there was just like, I felt like friends with everyone. Like we were a community that night. We were there to have a good time and look after each other. And, and and it was just fucking awesome. The dancing was awesome. And like my full gay side came out and I was like, yeah, I fucking love this. And, mm. and I hooked up with a guy that night and um, exercised that shame, I guess. And I found out that actually I'm not like sexually 
gay so much, you know, but I am, I now think of myself as bisexual because it's like, I don't want to repress. I don't want to shame that side of myself. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I have this attraction to the masculine sometimes that's really intense. And, um, <laughs> all right. So that wasn't actually very shamey. I've told that story to people before. So obviously you, you probably have a shame radar. You can tell that it's like, yeah, I don't know how, how, how difficult that was, but <laughs> well, I can imagine, go, I can see that it was very shamey in the was. past. Yeah. It's mildly shamey now is what I'm pointing at. Like, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. comfortable talking about it. And um, actually getting that proud, like, yeah, I'm really comfortable talking about it. Cool. What I'm less comfortable about and I'm going to lean into because my practice right now, I'm seeing shame like a, it really is like a self-jailing mechanism that like this part of me locks me in. But I'm realizing that I have the key on the other side. And Mm -hmm. I can keep unlocking those doors and step through. That's this fun Mm -hmm. thing. I sometimes talking to older, older men that I'm not at all physically attracted to. I have this desire to just kiss them. And it takes me over quite viscerally and comically in the middle of usually while I'm conversing with them. And they're often quite not conservative, but they're more like, father figure type saturnine archetype or something and it's Mm. like a strong urge to have like quite a sensual kiss with them and i always have this moment of like whoa don't do that like shame in the moment is like (laughs) bad idea like not in the flow of what's going on also wow i'm kind of ashamed that they're not like a hot young person that i'm wanting to kiss for some reason and then it's obvious that there's like some part of that masculine that like i'm just drawn to and i feel a little bit ashamed about that maybe i don't have that in myself and then there's this comical moment of like imagining doing it and just imagining Mm. the moment of how hilarious and intense it would be and I always lose the track of what they're saying and I kind of spin (laughs) out for a second so yeah yeah that's something I haven't told anyone so that's got a little bit more of a shame effervescence to it Wow, I'm really celebrating that you shared that. And I feel really <laughs> sort of inspired to lean into my own shame and be like, right, like the, my shame boundaries keep expanding, but there's always something, you know, there's always something yeah. at that edge. Always, always more. Um, so let's go back, let's let's hone in a little bit more on that on the shame breakthrough period for you. I want to hear a little bit more about, uh, yeah, what was it like and... Uh, how long did it last? And you mentioned that it kind of, you have to keep integrating it. So um, yeah, share a little bit more if you could about that. Yeah, I think the breakthrough itself was very much linked to career, which was sort of my main um, worthiness strategy at that time. Mm-hmm. I had to be a famous something. And mm-hmm. at that moment, it was filmmaker. <laughs> Mm. It was actually like kind of arbitrary. Like I do love film and like, who knows, maybe I'll, I'll try to make another film someday, but it really was more motivated by the need to be impressive and known by many people and respected. And like, I just was coveting the kind of respect I saw that people gave to these like auteur male directors like Mm. Kubrick and like just people just adored them. And I was like, that's the adoration that I need because deep down I feel like I am worse than everyone else. I am Mm. flawed. I am bad. There's just like something deeply wrong with me. And so the real like 
kind of shift there didn't fully get rid of like a sense of badness in me, but I realized that there were the, the strategies I was using were completely made up and it, it created a sense of freedom. I still had a mm-hmm. desire to like prove myself, but it was like, you can prove yourself in any way you want, AJ, you can do anything like there was just suddenly such freedom and way more options. So I like uh, the, the relationship I was in, what we mutually ended it. And I went, became a nomad and started traveling and like stopped mm. even watching movies, <laughs> which was really mm. liberating. And just like really exploring whatever fascinated me, which at that time was shame. So I just like went deeper and deeper and deeper learning more about shame but I kind of had it in my head that I had conquered shame, that I shouldn't be feeling shame anymore. Like I, I got it, I understood mm-hmm. it, and I got rid of it. But of course, you can't get rid of shame. It's a primary emotion, the way I look at it. It's it's yeah. always going to come up, no matter what. It's yeah. always going to come up for various reasons. And that's fine, and that's normal. But because I thought I had conquered it, I was rejecting it more than ever. I was like, this again? Like what the, mm. I, I, I've mm. dealt with this. And and then there was also like shame about career and shame about my sexuality that I was like, but I'm over that. I'm out. Like I'm, I'm a proud gay man. And, and it was like, well, then why do I feel shame every time I like hold hands with a guy in public? Like there was all these contradictions and I was mm. trying to repress them. I was trying to resist them. I was trying to numb them out. I was trying to run from them. And then it was a very gradual realization that I had to accept it. I, 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 there was, there is no world of completely shame-free sociopathy, as I talk about in those essays that you read. Mm. I need shame and it's a beautiful thing when I am in right relationship with it. And the only thing that I really needed was to accept the discomfort of it. It's like once I, I had already kind of like understood shame to be this part that the messages it was saying weren't objectively true in any way, but I couldn't handle the discomfort. So it still controlled me and bothered me. Mm-hmm. And once I had that final piece of just accept it and all it is, is a bad feeling. Like, can't you just accept a bad feeling? And it was like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really bad feeling, but yeah, I can, especially when I remind myself, this is just a bad feeling. Yeah. This isn't the message I'm hearing that I'm bad. It's, that's not what it is. That's an old conditioned interpretation. And I just, uh, but I can't, I can't shame that old conditioned. And this is what's so tricky about shame. If you're shaming any part of your shame, shame is still winning in a way. Yeah. So it's like, how do I accept all of these like painful, ugly sides of something so that they don't control me? Mm. And that's a, the kind of like real trick I think about shame is I have to accept this extremely uncomfortable feeling and I have to find a way to accept these old conditioned messages that keep coming up without believing them or Mm. identifying with them or acting on them. And that's a very subtle line. I'm not accepting that I'm worthless. I'm accepting that I'm temporarily feeling bad and associated with that is a message that I'm worthless that always comes up. And that's what I'm accepting. Mm. Yeah, I feel you. Maybe 
that's a natural point to expand a little bit upon what what you conceive of a right relationship with shame to be. <sighs> yeah, I I definitely think that you want shame to be a part that that I would I would recommend not even saying I'm ashamed unless you've thought it through and you fully agree with that shame. I'm I'm much think I think it's much more accurate to say like I'm in shame right now or like shame is coming up hmm. because that just helps you really see that it's a part of you and it's not you. And so often that part is just so powerful and so magnetic hmm. that we get sucked into it and we're looking at the world through that part and it's coloring everything and we're believing it. And and I think actually like there is time to look through the world through shame, look at the world through shame. But even when I do that, even when I lean right into it, I always have part of my brain that like goes to the surface with a kind of like safety net. And that part of my brain says, we're doing this for catharsis. We're doing this so that the emotion can feel really felt and pass, but we're not believing this. This isn't actually true. Hmm. So it's like, it's really powerful to have a really strong sense of shame as a separate part of you that is not actually you, hmm. no matter how much you lean into it, no matter how powerful or true it seems, it's always a part. That's a, like a very big distinction that I think is really important. Hmm. And then, and this is really hard, like, can I compassionately love and accept all of the ugliness and pain of that part? because any other relationship to it seems to prolong it. And it is, it really seems to me like this part just wants to be felt and heard and expressed a little bit. Like it wants its time in the sun and then it goes back to sleep. And so it, it doesn't actually require you to believe it. It doesn't actually require you to act on it or think that it's you, it just wants you to like feel it and maybe ideally talk about it. Yeah. So those are probably the two big things. Like it's part of you, it's not you. And can you accept it Mm. without believing it or acting on it? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You've, I'm having this amazing conception of what's forming in my mind of this broader model of integration, which is this process of like, first, it's like waking up to the fact yeah, that totally. we aren't these parts. They feel like they cycle through and possess us and we are them. So it's this process of like, oh, okay, there are parts of us and we're, I'm not that. I'm potentially the self capital S or, you know, any, any idea of that. And then, then I think the process is about like identifying all these parts and like bringing them back because they've been so far outcast and creating a sense of integration between all of them where they're close, but not wedded together. You don't want them to meld into a new, too much of a strong identity. They, they do have their own, sense in their own story to some degree and often they're useful and can be helpful to us in different ways and then kind of like i'm picturing all these parts kind of like 
holding hands and then just cycling, cycling through each one. Yeah. And that's who our broader self is. And yeah. like the relationship with shame is, is ongoing. It's yes. forever. It's infinite. <laughs> yeah, It's forever. And it is. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's yeah. a journey and a progress of growth and evolution that's actually on our side. And that's, um, it's kind of beautiful, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And it, it's, it's really becoming clearer and clearer to me that there is utility to it. Even when it's telling me something really awful, I'm like, okay, the utility here was that like at one time, I really did kind of need to believe this to motivate myself to fit in as a child. And so like, I'm, that helps me to kind of feel gratitude and acceptance and appreciation of it without having to say it's true now. Yeah. So I'm just like, there's utility everywhere. And I want to like honor that utility, even if it's outdated, even if it's overkill. And, mm. and I think that's like, if there's one criticism I have about shame, mm. it's that in the modern world, the volume is a bit high because we're not, we're, most of us are unlikely to die based on what shame is telling us the way we mm. used to as a hunter gatherer. So mm. it's just like a, be nice if you could turn the volume down a little bit. But other than that, it's like very necessary, very useful, very, very natural. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that framing that it it's, it's the volumes up too much. And so, all right, there's, there's lots of things I want to get into with you. I'm feeling lots of excitement around all these topics. I don't want to, I want to do them justice. So like, I want to return a bit later to this, this like, you know, this right relationship and almost this integration and, and this like healing thing we just pointed to there, which is the end point and how that connects to a growth mindset and self-love and what we can do yeah. about it. So I want to return to that, but I want to spend a bit more time in this sensation that I've just had recently of like, fuck, I'm, I get it. It's like the getting fucking red pilled in the matrix, you know, like, yeah, blue it pilled, is. which one is it? Yeah. Where? Well, yeah, it, it's. The shame is a bit of a red pill, it seems. The red pill. It's well, blue is the liberating pill, isn't it? Okay, I think well, so. It's I'm so hard confused. To say There's so many different color pills in, now. Yeah, I don't know, but there is something very matrixy about a shame breakthrough. Yes, and yeah, I want to speak to like that experience because I want to like kind of normalize that and have that be part of the discussion of this moment of like what the fuck? Like everyone knows they've got a bit of shame. I mean, body shame is a really visceral felt sense that we're all fairly familiar with. It's not particularly yeah. hidden, even though the full depth of it can be. But like, I just had this realization that like, I, Joe, is pretty much a product of shame. Yeah. And all of my motivations yeah. and all of my yeah. desires and all of my actions and all of my choices, that's <laughs> what it is. I'm like a yeah. shame engine and that's what it is yeah. to be human. And that's yeah. like, again, I don't want to get to that's beautiful just yet. I want to get to that. Just like, Whoa, like the spaciousness that came up around that. And like that freedom that you speak to is really a thing because you can start to see how it's all narrative that's constructed and how malleable it all is, even though it seems so locked in place mm -hmm. and going beyond that there's just like a humility now of like that hasn't changed i'm still that my actions right now are informed by that but i'm just totally. okay with it i'm not shaming my shame anymore which is like that <laughs> ultimate 
buffer which stops us from actually engaging with it that shame shame buffer is like i think the thing that we want to try and melt first the most because shame actually doesn't feel that bad it's kind of funny it's kind of humbling it's kind of like the, the other thing it's given me is like oh everyone is like this yes. and it's like suddenly i feel like i'm seeing everyone a lot more clearly than they're seeing themselves because if you just yes. keep yes. that lens of like <laughs> you're all just acting out of shame everyone yeah. yes and it's like you've kidded yourself <laughs> that you're not so i kind of have a clearer perspective on you in yes. some ways while i'm yes. doing that and it's like fun because it's like the whole world suddenly looks really different and fresh and um you can have compassion. It seems innocent. It seems hilarious. It also seems kind of tragic because it's like, whoa, the human condition is deep and heavy and yeah. intense. Like we're all operating off this motivation that we can't see, but it's right before our very eyes. So it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the essence of a of a shame breakthrough. And then like other breakthroughs I've had with like non-dual realization or different versions of it, it goes again. And it's yeah. like suddenly I'm like, I'm talking about it like it was a thing a month ago. And it's like I'm making sense of the shame breakthrough. And it's like, ah, oh, I'm not in it anymore. The psychedelic yeah. experience has ended. Yeah, and it's which like is tough. Yeah. And it's 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 tough. Yeah, because you miss it. Because that that state is just Because it feels so good. Yeah. It feels great. But then it's also like, oh, okay. But some part of me will never be closed off to that again. So I've got a yeah. gentle... I've got a gentle good feeling in my body as we talk about it. Cause I feel like I'm on this inevitable, like slow course of it just gets deeper and better and, and more layers of it. And um, I'm wanting to like formalize and, and play and talk with you and theorize more around like, yeah, how do we, I think like the most pressing question we have, which I think why the work you're doing is so important. How do we recognize it and how do we come to terms with it in a very practical sense? Cause it's, maybe the easiest key to better well-being that's lying around. And if you're interested in truth, it's the truth. So if you're philosophically minded, you're going to want to go there just for like a deeper understanding of, of reality that you can sink into, you know? And if you're interested in personal growth, then it's kind of like, it's the key that sets you out of the prison to keep you doing that. So yeah, you start to, it's like, yeah. it becomes everything. Right. And then I get it this. Is, like, it's everything. It's everything. And I'm like, then why aren't I a shame practitioner? Like what else would you be? So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to lay all out that out there. And then like, I love how present you, to you for a minute in what's it like to be doing that. You've been doing it for like two years now. Like where are you at? now with the shame based on where you were and anything else that came up for you after that little explosive share? Well, I resonated so much with what you were saying and I loved the way you put it and the emphasis that you put on like when you have this breakthrough and then you see that it's everywhere controlling everything and then you look at people and you see them controlled by it and you see that they're not aware of it and you're like, whoa, I'm like, it is like I'm seeing the source code to some extent Uh and it's really trippy. And it's very equalizing, like people are it's like some super impressive expert, like lecturing me about something. And then I see like them being controlled by their shame. And I'm like, yes. wow, okay, like you're so human all of a sudden because I yes. see your vulnerability being hidden just like mine. Wow. And that's just like, I feel really kind of like excited and expire, inspired hearing 
yeah, it does feel like you're closer to that exciting explosive realization because that was so long ago now. And uh-huh. But part of me is also aware that I understand that there's research that suggests like one of our core neurological needs is improvement. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you feel blissed out about your shame breakthrough forever, it's less motivating yet again than mm-hmm. if you come back to a kind of equilibrium and feel a little bit of loss and desire some new improvement some and that kind of pushes us to just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper so there is kind of something beautiful to the way that um these epiphanies can only get us so far before we need a little bit of discomfort again to kind of motivate us to more epiphanies Hmm. but something really became clear as you were talking and that is Mm -hmm. before my shame breakthrough there was something really lined up between when i felt bad and the way that my thoughts believed that badness hmm. and whatever the the pattern was for me it always lined up that this feeling i think these i believe these negative thoughts and after the shame breakthrough those two things got separated so there were times when shame would come up and i would get a message and i'd be like yeah totally you're right i need to stop talking and listen, or whatever mm. the message might have been. I, I still believed it. I bought into it. But then there were other times where I was like, no, this message is inaccurate. So I'm going to keep the feeling and I'm going to sit in the feeling, mm. but I am going to thank the message and let it pass, let it go. Mm. And I'm going to do the exact opposite. So it's like these, and it kind of goes back to what I said earlier on about we think we're a rational being and that the reason we're doing things is because of things we've thought of. But actually, a lot of what I was thinking of was based on the emotions first. I, I think it's emotion, then thought more often than not. So shame would come up, the classic shame thoughts would come up, and I would act on those, hmm. thinking that it was my conscious, logical choices. And now I see that system and I accept it so that it passes and I make a new choice that actually mm. is slightly more my actual rational brain. Mm. And that's really empowering. Nice. Yeah, that's a kind of more advanced relationship with it that I guess you get to play with over time. I like that. But I still have lots of shame. Yeah. Still, I struggle. I mean, the boundary keeps getting wider, but then I keep doing crazier stuff that I would yeah. have never done in the past. Like podcast episodes where I admit things like you just did. Yeah. I, I you know, like then you, you, you might have some vulnerability come like a vulnerability hangover tomorrow. Like, uh-huh. Oh, should I have said that? Like, should I edit it out? <laughs> but the fact is your shame boundary has allowed you to share that. And maybe years ago it wouldn't have, but yeah. so you're still going to have shame. It's just, it's going to come up from doing more and more, uh, edgy type things. So yeah. I'm like still feeling shame all the time, but I have a bigger um, kind of, if shame is the guardrail, they're wider now. Yeah. And I can barrel through it. It's painful. It's hard. It, it takes a lot of like sitting with discomfort, but I can barrel through it if I really, 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 really need to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. What you sharing brings up for me is this like, there's the shame that we feel from external uh, 
that that is more because uh, I mean it's all internal, but it's more it is, triggered yeah. from the external like interaction yeah. with a wider culture. And yeah. then there's the shame I realize that is more on my side. So when I'm around someone like you, or I feel comfortable with peers and friends, compassion, like that obviously aren't shaming me or, or, or leading me to feel shame that way. There's my own aspect of it and working kind of separating those two is useful because if you yes. start to be like shame Superman and like, I can do anything. Like you realize that, wow, that, that outer force is really strong. And I think you can actually kind of do yourself damage by trying to lift too much in the wrong contexts. And there's yes. this like, yeah, there's this feeling of, all right, so I'm what I'm feeling excited and really enthusiastic by and why I want to sing this stuff from the rooftops is I can sense this time where I've pretty much exercised that more my side of the internal thing I was just pointing to there where there is like, yeah, no, I'm pretty okay with myself in the right context with the right people around. Like, yeah, it might come up, mm. but it's kind of worked through. I get the sense that there is distinct progress and stages of this and that like by keeping shame in front of our eyes and like in right relationship with it, like there's this joyful place that I get to of self-acceptance. And I think I've met, a couple of older folks who were like that. And I have a model of that, that, that energy that I got from them. And that's really exciting. That's a really enthusiastic vision for me to move towards. And it, it, it gets me thinking like, so what, yeah, how do we, how do we start to, well, what are the practices? So say we've, we've got this awareness of shame. What are you finding is most powerful for people to start leaning into it, to start making sense of it, and then to go deeper into their journey with it? Well, one thing that occurs to me is that some people actually really struggle to feel their shame mm -hmm. because it's so abhorrent and they've built up such defense mechanisms that it's it's not a feeling that they allow themselves to like feel or sense into without quickly getting into defensive actions or numbing or something like that. Hmm. So it kind of does start for a lot of people just being like, what does shame actually feel like for me? And it, and it can be slightly different, it seems, for different people. It can show up in different places in their body. Hmm. So it's that can be a bit of detective work right at the start for some people is like, I'm not even sure what the feeling is. Hmm. And one like one suggestion I have in that case is to see if you can notice when you go into fight or flight at very least, which is like a, a more heightened version, mm -hmm. like fight or flight tends to be your heart pounding, your face is flush, you feel like you're going to cry, um, often those symptoms. So like, and, and it feels like I literally need to like punch someone or run away. So that tends to be a feeling that most people can connect with. They've, they have felt that under extreme kind of panicky moments. And so mm. I'm like, next time that comes up, ask yourself, is the supposed danger like external? Like, is it physical? Is there an actual bear coming at you? Mm. Is there something outside of you that's like going to hurt you? Because if not, then it's very possible that right before you went in to that panic fight or flight mode was shame because yeah. the danger was internal. It was a perception mm. of yourself. So then it's like working backwards. Like what happened right before you got triggered? What was said? And what did you feel right when that was said? Because I actually think fight or flight is another 
like way to avoid shame. It actually arguably feels better to mm. go into fight or flight than to sit mm. into shame. This is because it's more like action oriented. Yeah. So for me, that's kind of like what I was doing. I was like, first of all, it is hard to even notice fight or flight when you're in it. So that was like, I'd notice like five minutes later, Oh, I was just in fight or flight. That's why I just acted so crazy. And right yeah. before that, what did I feel? Yeah. There was like this gut punch. And like the more I did that process, I kind of got closer and closer. I could actually start to notice when I was triggered in fight or flight and say, oh, what did I just feel? And I gradually taught myself to get to like shame ground zero Mm -hmm. and catch it as it was coming up before I went into fight or flight. So that's a whole process. (laughs) And that was just to get a sense of what shame feels like for me. And now I know. So when it comes up, I'm like, oh, I'm in shame. And that's like, that's the first thing, noticing. I have to know that I'm in shame to do anything useful with it. And once I notice that I'm in shame, then I try to go into full acceptance mode if I can. And this might require me separating myself from other people. Or if I'm like in a trusting group, just saying, oh, 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 I'm in shame right now. Some shame just came up right now. And then I just want to like give myself a lot of self-soothing mm. and try to sit with the feeling. And this is this is where it gets real tricky because if you if you let the feeling of shame and the messages of shame hit you at once, it's like a double team overpowering thing. Mm. So I use like mindfulness and meditation training to focus entirely on my body because that allows me to just accept the feelings. That's where I start. Can I just focus on the physical sensation of shame with a lot of self-compassion and self-soothing? I'm like rubbing my chest and I'm saying, of course, buddy. Oh, Mm. of course you're feeling some shame. Like, Mm. even if I don't know why, I'm just giving it all of this acceptance. I'm literally just saying, yes, this makes sense. I accept Mm. you. I get it. There's this, like you need me to feel this. Ah. And I find that that place of acceptance and focus allows the feeling to quickly pass Hmm. depending on how powerful it is, because it's actually the thoughts that will keep re-stimulating an emotion, which I understand only apparently lasts about 90 seconds. Hmm. So if I can focus just on my body so that I'm not ruminating and rethinking about what happened, Mm. that's the space from which my body will say, thanks for listening. I'm going back to sleep in terms of the emotional brain. Mm. And once my body has gotten back to equilibrium and the shame has passed, there's usually like a clearing breath or some kind of yawn or something. Then I know that my blood, like the blood is coming back to my prefrontal cortex, like the logic center of my brain. And then I can examine the the logic space. What are the messages coming up? Is there any truth to them? Do I agree with them at all? Hmm. Is there like, you know, is this shame that I am like, oh, you're right, shame. I fucked up and I need to go out and make amends or Hmm. something. Or perhaps I don't agree with it at all. That differentiation is is way easier to make when you're not physically feeling um, the feeling of shame anymore. It's just like so much clearer headed and you'll have so many more options available to you when you're not dealing with the cognitive and physical sides of shame at once. 
So I call that, I call that deconstructing shame. And then the, the portion of just sitting with the feeling, I call that getting discomfortable with shame. I'm just like mm-hmm. sitting there getting discomfortable with it. I've, I've focused, so it's deconstructed. And then afterwards, I look at the messages on their own merits and decide how do I actually want to react to what I've done and to these messages. And, and once again, I don't want to, this is tricky, the messages that I don't agree with, I don't want to shame them. And I don't want to reject them as such, but I do want to close them into a part. So it's like Mm. that message is just a part and it's a part that had utility when I was a child. No doubt it did Mm. have utility at one point. So I want to honor that part. I'm just not going to lean into that part. I'm not going to identify or believe or act on that part, but that part is completely accepted and welcome because it's wired into my brain. And over time, I do think those parts will slowly disintegrate. And I think there are trauma healing practices that will really expedite that. Like uh, I'm imagining coherence therapy, um, like trauma mapping that Nathan Vanderpool does or Dr. Douglas Tataran's bio emotive framework, mm-hmm. um, potentially EMDR therapy. Mm-hmm. Like all of these trauma healing modalities might help to to break down those old conditioned messages of shame. But until that time, I need to be in acceptance with that part as long as I know that it's not me. Hmm. So that's kind of like my main process. Beautiful. Wow. I like it. And people can work with you, by the way. You're a, you're a shame coach. So anyone that's feeling deeper to go into this, reach out to AJ and listen to his podcast. That's, that's available. Um, so I'm feeling this like this process. Let me see if it lines up with what you've been seeing and experiencing. It's like first the awareness happens and that that's just going to happen when it happens. You either read about it. Maybe you hear this podcast. There's a life crisis or something. Um, but suddenly you're aware of this concept of shame in a way that you weren't before. And you kind of like wake up to it. Then there's the process of, oh, okay. Yeah. What does mine feel like? I realize that I'm not really in touch with it. And that's what you kind of just really went into of like, where is it? What are the things? Let me write a list of the things I'm ashamed of. And that's very connected to shadow work because a lot of it is like, what am I repressing about myself? And it's like a string of like deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, And I don't want to make this sound all too cute and easy because another thing that I've found, like I said before, I'm equating Joe is shame. So it's like, it's not like it's like I can put a little neat box around the parts of me that are shame and the parts that aren't. I'm coming to this like, oh, it, it is my totality and it's everything and it's constantly in my existence. And it's, I've built up around it so much that my personality is, is in a large part this. And so it's like more of a gentle, I mean, if you resist that, that's almost like a bad trip at that point, right? Because it's like you're fighting against something that just is, this has been my experience, but if I'm just like constantly with it, like, ah, it's always here and I'm okay with that. And that's cool. And like, so yeah, this kind of gentle melting into it. And then the process after that, which is very connected to embodiment, which is what you mentioned for me, they're super synonymous shame work and embodiment practice because it takes you out of the body. It puts you into the mind, it puts you into the future or the past. And, if you can just stay in the physical, 
work with it yourself. And then I think the next step is to speak to it with the right people that have a degree of empathy. So you've become aware of what shame is. You've identified the areas that you're ashamed, how that feels. You've started to embody it. And then you start practicing with a therapist or a coach or a group of friends or even just in other places what I'm practicing and places like just generally most conversations, I'm just trying to lean into it. It's like this like martial art that I'm playing with. But then I think the final step after that is to weave ourselves mutual aid community contexts where shame is always kept as one of the community members. It's like, it's like we keep it there. It's almost like coming out of the closet with shame of like, yeah, I shame is a part of who I am and what I am and our culture. And let's talk about it. Let's have a festival of it every year or month probably would be better for me to start with so that it doesn't sneak into the back again and creating a culture. And this is, I feel a little frustrated at this point because I'm like having a shame breakthrough and I'm in these like clubhouse rooms or different areas. And I'm like, what are we talking about people? Like I'm just hearing shame everywhere and it's not being talked to. And it's like almost a bit dangerous because you can become a bit of a missionary or a bit of a zealot at that point where it's like, (laughs) how can anything happen other than this? The whole of every environmental and social justice concern comes back down to this. Like, and um but just zooming in on 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 what i want to create and really bring in now is like i've got a few friends that like i can tell everything to i feel like you'd be one of them and it's like creating a new culture of that and that like sinking letting my nervous system get used to that of like oh it's safe to talk about shame and this is where game theory comes into it and it gets really interesting because at some point the culture flips and i feel we're nearly there Up until this point, talking about your weaknesses and vulnerabilities has been a no-go for men broadly. I mean, it's a stereotype, but it's broadly true. And then we're reaching a point where in certain circles, it's actually celebrated. And I feel like the cultures we're moving in, we're starting to see like, oh, you get status from that, which has its own shadow, which can emerge (laughs) as well. Yeah. But then can also reinforce this like culture and start to recreate it. And and then you have like this trippy distinction of that. Was that performative or was exactly. it not? And what was authentic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to comment on that? Well, what you're pointing to is getting me very excited because yeah. the flip is d- directly connected to shame, mm. which is to say that you're doing it now to fit in. And what yep. motivates you to fit in? Shame. Shame. So you're talking about shame because if you don't talk about shame, you'll feel shame. <laughs> so you have to be able to go as meta as you can yeah. and be really transparent about, oh, I'm I'm trying to talk really vulnerably right now, but I realize I'm trying to like impress you with my vulnerability. Oh. And there's like some shame behind me saying Please. like, be deeper like come up with some, like I'm actually feeling fine and I'm telling you I'm all this like pain because I think you'll like me. So like it's tricky because we will, the majority will always be motivated by shame towards something. Right. Yeah. Like even right now, what I'm experiencing with you is a sense of closeness, love and understanding. But I really want you to like me on some level and I want to be liked. And that me too motivation is still here. It's like constant. It's ever present. And rather than denying that, like 
I celebrate that. All right. There's, there's that <laughs> aspect in here that is allowing us to connect and resonate and co-regulate together. And yeah, it's just, and it's, del- it's joyful. It's joyful. And, de- and it's, it's, it's yeah, like like surfing it, right? Like using yeah. it like a, a momentum that's already there. So you can either push it into the shadow or you can bring it up and you can work with it. You can honor it. You can have a playful relationship with it. But it's it's incredibly humbling. And this mm. is why it's like a ultimate initiation, I feel, for a new culture because it keeps you humble if you keep it in front of you because it's like yeah. it makes you needy and dependent and potentially in really beautiful and healthy ways if you're working with it. And that's yeah, what it is to be human. The the positive motivation towards socializing is the most wonderful feelings we have, right? Yeah. Like that's the attraction. Shame yeah. is when we're, you know, in danger of being out. But mm. we're, as you said, like everything I'm saying and all of my choices are being guided right in this moment by yes. don't fuck it up. Don't yeah. don't ruin this connection that you're creating with Joe and don't ruin the connection with the audience by saying something stupid. So it's yeah. like, I may not be feeling shame in every moment, but the fear of going into shame is always there. Mm. All right. Well, I want to play with something in this moment just for a second, because I think there's this beautiful, complex, dual thing that we want to work with, which is like honor it and be like, yeah, it's here. And it's like giving us biochemical rushes and you know i'm leaning into the screen and it's all there and i just want to invite you to feel that it's okay to fuck up as well and like if you do say something fucking stupid or ignorant that i judge to be that way or or i do i hope we could fall off that tightrope and realize that there's a net there and i'm gonna jump off the tightrope onto the net with you and just lie there and yeah, I think this is this other part of like, ah, oh, it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's mm-hmm. okay to not be super on point or intelligent in every moment. And yeah, I feel like that's the cultural part of normalizing that and just speaking to that and holding space for that and creating time for that. Cause a lot of that is also around time pressure, right? Like, okay. Oh, we're an hour and 15 minutes. Let's just be clever. Let's do this. We'll do this next thing. And it's like, so I'm finding mm-hmm. that leaning into shame is changing me in ways of like, well, I'll just be where I am and do what I need to do because it's slower. And it's like, hey, we're here and we're together. And that's what matters, you know? Mm. Yeah, I feel like a relieved sadness come up as you mm. say this, like, mm. Yeah, like I want to be like, ah, and like let go of holding on to the perfect interview and Mm. just sink into like whatever. Yes, (laughs) beautiful. But but it's it's yeah, it's really nourishing to hear you say that and to be there with you. But shame is still powerful in the background. Still there, I can feel it as well. Yeah, it it shame when we go into shame, it flips us from thinking we're doing good to, to bad. And that flip is so scary because it's like the degree to which I think we're connected Hmm. is the same amplitude of shame. I will feel if I suddenly perceive that we're not for whatever reason. Yes. And that's, what's so scary. That's why we're so sometimes afraid to really lean into connection (laughs) And yes. 
and love mm. is like if this goes awry the shame i will feel will be tremendous the because it has higher. to flip the motivation yeah so that ties in beautifully to an even deeper net which isn't even a net that's the wrong analogy but maybe like a deeper fundamental truth that's already there that i think so i think what we're doing now working this culture of like encouraging each other to like be in these spaces and be open that's beautiful i'm all about that but i think you can't that what goes along with that is this deeper intrinsic sense of worth that we can arrive at which i think starts to point in really spiritual and mystic directions at the core of a lot of these older traditions of like the inherent isness and worthiness of us beyond relationship to yeah. others and parts beyond relational love and yeah maybe you could speak to that a little bit of of that that connection and of that practice of that understanding of like even if aj doesn't feel as close to me as I feel to him in, in the time ahead. That's okay because I'm still worthy. And you spoke to that really beautifully in, in your podcast and and essay. So maybe you could speak to that a bit now. Yeah. I mean, because shame is so much about belong to the group. Yeah. There's a really, potent side to belong to yourself even if you don't belong to the group and so like Mm -hmm. i've definitely been on a a long journey to come to a place of discovering that i do love myself Mm -hmm. you know like not it wasn't learning how to love myself it was discovering that i do love myself i was just misattributing it as love for other things only Mm. and realizing that like your love doesn't just like go out of you towards someone else. Like you're the one who feels it Mm. no matter what you're loving. You're the one who's feeling the sensation of love. And I was just like, that's gotta be a relationship. I love me plus you. I'm not just loving Joe. I'm loving my experience as me with you. It's very, very true. And through (laughs) that, I was able to connect with, so I do love me. And that was the beginning of like coming to sovereignty and coming to self-belonging, which is then a powerful source of like the kind of self-compassion and self-empathy that helps me to hold the discomfort of shame without running away from it. Hmm. And, and I think of a human animal as like a polarity between I and we, Mm. you know, we're a social, deeply, deeply, deeply social animal. So that's the we side, but we are literally individuals. So there are a bunch of needs towards survival that are just about me. And so that's the I side. Mm. And when we talk about like self-love and self-belonging, that's like leaning into the strength of the I side of my polarity. And that is a huge backup safety net for when I lose my we or I pursue perceive the loss of the we. Yeah. Which happens. Yeah. But I need the we as well. And you can definitely, and I've been on this already, you you swing too far into the eye and you become basically um, avoidant attachment. 
And, yeah. you know, you have all this power there, but you don't forget you do have the we side. You do need the we side. And that's where we want to lean into the, to the joy and beauty and love of connecting with others. We want to risk that by being vulnerable and authentic, even if we might get rejected. And we want to own, I think, and this is very on the learning edge for me right now. Hmm. We need to kind of like own up to feeling helpless sometimes and saying, I cannot fully do it on my own. Hmm. And I kind of use them both. Like when I lose a sense of we, I can, I can hold the power of the I and the self-love to get through that. But I'm always going to come back to the we. I need to. And when I'm feeling a lot of shame and I'm just like really struggling to find my self-love, then I might use the strategy of going to a really trusted friend and having the we space help support me until I can find my I again. So yeah. it's like it's a pendulum and you, you want to get the polarity isn't like one or the other. You want to get strength from both sides. Yeah. and you can easily get sucked into one or the other. And that's okay if you need that support in that moment. But if you're constantly going to the we, then you're missing the utility of the I and that strength. Mm -hmm. And if you're constantly in the I, then you're missing the utility of the we. So I think all of us is a, like a little bit polarized and we want to kind of like find the balance that works for us and use those two strengths um, strategically. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. So well put. And yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a trap there, isn't it? Which I almost fell into before in my explanation. I kind of caught it. It's like, yeah, if you try and put the eye as a catch all, like yeah. it doesn't matter no matter what, <laughs> like then you can erase shame. So part of me is like, oh yeah, there was like a way out of shame. And it's like, no, 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 have yeah, the no. I and the we, there's still going to be shame arise. In yeah. They're moments. equal nets. They're definitely yeah. equal. Yeah. I think if there's any bottom net, mm. it might be that it's totally okay to feel terrible. Yeah. It, it, it does not, if I like this, and this is sort of like a, a mental thing that you can work on and hold mm. feeling like a bad person does not mean I am a bad person and there's nothing wrong with feeling like a bad person. So if I can sit in feeling like a bad person and have that little safety net going out of my prefrontal cortex that just reminds me this doesn't mean it's true yeah that is the the bottom net for me is that worse comes to worse i know that i can sit in the shame and it's yeah. fine yeah 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 that's 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 beautiful and there's a few other things i want to just put in this beautiful concoction we're brewing together like broadly culturally practicing being okay with shame like occasionally in different discussions i've said oh oh i feel a bit i feel a bit of shame now that you've mentioned that and the other person will freak out and yeah. it will be like whoa sorry bah bah and then i'm like oh now you're feeling shame around the fact that i mentioned some shame and it's like it we're just yeah. not equipped yet so normalizing that where it's like if someone yes. says that like honor that and be like oh okay yeah. And just give it space, whatever they need. You don't need to go into it. It doesn't need to be a psychoanalysis moment. It's just like a let letting each other presence it because we need practice with that, right? Yeah, yeah. Which and requires them to sit with their shame. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same process. It's true. So yeah, and then 
another part of it is like we're pretty twisted and dark and esoteric creatures on the inside. That character I was talking about that I bring out in the shower, he's into some freaky heavy shit. And like <laughs> the shadow work that goes with this, as a, this is why I want to get into these communities because I feel like you need a baseline or you very much benefit from a good we space with trust and openness yeah. Yeah, to be totally. able to go in there and excavate some of not just the trauma, but also the desires that that has kicked up and the parts of ourselves. Like, yeah. you know, sexuality comes to mind. Some of the freaky things that we all feel yeah. that are very much put away and that's higher level shame work. And I need other shame acrobats to kind of be going around with yes, but yes. I'm yearning for it. Once you yeah. awake to some of it, you're like, fuck, I don't want to leave all the good stuff back there because there isn't a cultural context for it yet. So um yeah, it goes hand in hand with shadow work, doesn't it? It it absolutely does. Yeah. And like there's definitely a lot of shame stuff that I think people are having success accepting on the eye side. But it's like there's just going to be so much utility if we really can find people that we can share it with. And, and it's not going to be everyone. Like, let's be realistic. Like, the, there are yeah. certain things that uh, could really hurt you in the culture if, if you said it on your podcast. Yes. But I feel like there's got to be someone, be it a therapist or a really close friend, who you can share the everything with. And I think that will actually, like we think we need to shadow eyes and shame these things to control them and get rid of them. But that is not a great strategy. I think they are more powerful. You know, you said earlier, like keep the shame in front of you. And that's exactly right. It's like the more we can keep it in front of us and see it and talk about it and show it, the way more power we have over it than if we hide it from everyone. So it feels very edgy and very counterintuitive for our culture, but it's like actually by me saying I have all this racist shit going on conditioned yeah. into my brain mm-hmm. is helping me be, is helping me um, manage and act on that less because I see it and it's in front of me. And it's the same with, yeah, weird sex with political stuff. Like all of these arenas is, I do think there's utility to putting it in front of us by seeing it ourselves, accepting it ourselves, and ideally getting someone else to say, I see that and I accept you anyway. Mm. And then you might not have to act on it if you really don't want to. If it's really bad, you know, really bad in air quotes, but (laughs) culturally just not appropriate in the laws and norms of our society. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also want to point to the fact that it's, It's tricky in this day and age, particularly in intellectual meta spaces that I'm finding, because like there's a certain humility that goes along with this that can make it difficult to keep your posture of like, I'm so-and-so with these ideas. Pulling those two things together (laughs) is rare, right? You feel me? Yeah. And I feel this all the time. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I don't know, you and I think we have a similar perspective on this of you look broader at like all the social justice issues, for example, so much of what I saw happen in my community was the inability for us to sit with the shame. We were all just triggered out of shame straight away. So we we reacted. And when that's put through social media, it's so much easier to have those boundaries um, and, you know, snipe at each other. And that 
for me, that if we want to do the revolution, if we want to create the world we want to, if all these intellectual ideas, like uh, they're not going to create these new systems unless I feel we start at, at the baseline. For me, like I like the idea of pods. That's where like you have three or four people close to you that you go on with a journey over time. And essentially the practice is just being with each other honestly for a few hours of, of each week until you get to the point where you can be all of yourself together. So it's kind of co-therapy yeah. with peers. Yeah. And 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 that's like I've been doing that for about five or six years now. And I'm I, it's it takes a long time to like get there and find the right people and and open up. But when you do the work that you can do systemically is so massive as well because we need to do this collective healing like Thomas Hubel's work with collective trauma of we need to hold these bigger issues together. We need to all sit in the shame together between we can move through them. And there's a risk of oversimplifying and sounding too kumbaya at this point, but I want to push back against that and be like, no, there is a beautiful simplicity to this of being able to sit in shame together is the only way we're going to untie these really knotty, deep, wicked problems that we're dealing with. And so it's like, we're not only dealing with our own personal, like, so the breakthrough feeling I felt is like, you know, 35 years of repressed energy that gets to come out around those stories. When we're talking like 7,000 years of civilizational, that'll be a beautiful collective shame breakthrough. Imagine that. Like I can see it emerging and um, yeah. Don't want to get too ahead of myself because it's, it's definitely, Still working on just my personal story, not sneaking away. Yeah. It's so quick, but there's definitely hope there, right? Absolutely. And and that is definitely like a dream that I have imagined. Like what mm. if everyone was having a shame breakthrough? Like what would that even look like? Uh, it's like, it's very exciting because it, it really is like, if if you say something that I that brings up shame in me and I can't sit with that shame, I I I have to like do something to you to get rid of you. And yes. it's scapegoat, right? Yeah, like that that goes into like attack other and like shame back. Or or at very least I need to like run away from you or something. So it's yes. like the the ability to sit with our own shame dramatically increases our ability to stay in connection with anyone, even if we don't like agree with them or they're like, uh, have done some horrible things. And I think that, that there's so much utility to connection. Like there's so much healing in connection. And a lot of these people who are doing things that we say are terrible are deeply disconnected. So it's like mm-hmm. the way we punish in our society and the way we reject is making things worse. And so like, if we could all sit with our shame and be to, to with these other people, the potential for healing is huge, but it just, it seems backwards for people's brain. It's Mm. like, Oh, so that person, if I accepted the horrible thing that they, that I think they are, that might actually help like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think we're on something really interesting here. Maybe it's too simplistic, but I feel like, Really, well, the it is simple, but it's deeply painful. Yes. That's what it is. It's simple to sit in your shame. It's just extremely painful and hard painful. to do. <laughs> like it's a simple concept, yeah. but it's extremely hard to sit in that pain. 
then applying that to systems and cultures that we move within and even our little meta culture that we're a part of is really tricky because I feel like if there's any game A or game B difference, if you want to split it like that, really the underlying part of it is have we got humility around our vulnerability, acceptance of shame and authenticity? And that for me, it's like the feminine is generally much better at that than the masculine. And that's mm. why for me, like really highlighting the, the, the feminine foundations of how we want to move forward is so important that any space we're in, any like intellectual space or economic space that isn't predicated on that is immediately rewarding with wrong incentives. So even beyond money, it's like, I'm like, there's a different discussion going on here. Like I'll give you an example. I'm part of a, a really amazing Facebook group at the moment that's like uh, grappling with these fascinating philosophical ideas, but I've just got this sense underneath that it's like people are trying to score points in yeah. here or defend and, and posture intellectually. And I'm trying yeah. to do that as well because I'm in that space. And it's like, we've got this all wrong. This is, I feel just leading us not in the right direction. And it's yeah. like, it's quite fundamental and I can feel it quite quickly yeah. in people. And it creates, this is an us and them and it's difficult to process and accept because <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, that person is doing this thing that I'm feeling and that person isn't. So I can quite quickly delineate who I want to create new systems with. And for me, it's like this combination between metasystemic thought, high cognitive ability and deep authenticity, vulnerability, yeah. and the combination of those two things. And that's kind of rare. You start to get to like a small percentage of people that I'm coming across yeah. and I want to create community with these people. So it's going to have to probably be online. And then you get to this whole like, well, it's difficult to be embodied, but you can do it, yeah. but it's a yeah. high bar. Yeah, so that's right where I'm at with everything. Just yeah. being honest I mean, and open with what, it. What, what comes up for me is that, like, I often feel that I, the, like, leaning into your shame is often perceived as, like, low status. And yeah. so these, like, status games that are operating, the incentive to do this work is at first, like, really, like, no. And I, I sometimes get feedback from people, like, AJ, like, own your power and, like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, and I'm like, no, it really feels like it's my mandate to lower myself by revealing the most shamey things that I can think to reveal yes. in the moment, because I know that that's going to do a lot for the other people who are secretly feeling that. Yes. So that's where I'm, I'm trying to like <sighs> connect and, but, but it has, I, there's a, like, I do feel like by being really transparent about my shame and digging into it, I have developed a kind of status as well, which yes. does appeal to me on a like superficial oh. shamey level as well. So I can get caught in that. And that's a trap that I can get caught in, but it can also like inspire other people in a sort of backwards way to do the same thing. Again, that's that shame culture flip. Oh, well yeah. now it's high status. So I want to copy it. Yes. So you can see like it's, it's shame is constantly kind of like shifting. And yeah. when it was in front of you, it can come right behind you all of a sudden. And like yes. by trying to do be in right relationship with shame, there can be shame about not being quite in right relationship enough. And so shame is, is like 
multi-prospect, multi-perspectival and can appear from any direction in a place where there was no shame. Shame can suddenly come in. So it's just like yes. very, 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 This uh, my mentors at the Center for Healing Shame, mm. um, Sheila Rubin and Brett Lyon talk about it as a multi-headed hydra. And, you know, you mm. cut off one head and two grow back. So that's like something that we had to be careful of with shame is. Yeah. We always need to be kind of turning around and saying, where is shame now? Yeah. And then the other thing that comes online is that we have to have a space of accepting, I think, I think we have to have a space of accepting Uh the shamers and the people who are in status, Hmm. because if not, we're shaming them, I think. Yes. So it's, again, it's so delicate. How do I Mm. like maintain my shame integrity while trying to be in acceptance? Like, yeah, I love this idea of this community. Like, let me into your pod, please. (laughs) But at the same time, it's like, there's due diligence, I think, of trying to be in as much acceptance as we can, because I think that's what will invite people to our side. And if we're rejecting them, then we are sure as fuck rejecting the part of ourselves that is them which is our shadow side yes the part that says we have to be perfect or whatever like that's still a part of us and i want to be in acceptance of that part and i want to see that it has and had utility sometimes Mm -hmm. so again i have to be accepting them to fully accept me so as you can see it's like really difficult work beautiful there's a few things i want to highlight here there's the um I think working the, how would I put it? The like uh, self power side of ourselves, as well as the authenticity, vulnerable side of ourselves. Like they're both parts of ourselves we want to develop and they, yes. one can overshadow the other. So like, it's, again, having friends and peers and pods to help us with that of like, you know, Hey Joe, where, where could you exert yourself a bit more and where are you maybe being a bit too sacrificial or not enough? And it's like discerning those two characters, because a lot of these people, like, I don't want to take away from their high status because they've earned it and deserved it. And they've developed this fucking badass part of themselves, but maybe just not done both sides of the work. So it's kind of both sides. And then there's the, I just want to honor you for a minute because I, can, I've seen you do it and I can imagine you doing it all the time. That sacrificial move of like, I'm doing it as well. Let me say something a little bit stupid in this context, or let me like, let me just be a little bit real and lose that status. And it's such yeah. a, it's a risk in that moment, but it brings a level of realness that is appreciated and slowly uh, infuses that culture. But I, I yeah. feel to keep Thank doing you. that and to keep leaning into that. Yeah, I'm glad I see that in you and I, I take strength from it. To really be empowered in that, I think we would benefit from having a strong context of, uh, of a pod and a collective. So for me, that's like a group of three or four people and then a broader group of 20 to 80 that are really deep in this so that we're constantly nurtured in that. And like as we kind of sacrifice ourselves in other moments, then we, we know we're coming back to this nurturing space where we're seen for what we are. Because if you're just mm. doing that on your own all the time, then it's exhausting and draining and potentially yeah. <laughs> self-harm in a way, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, getting all those pieces together is Yeah, is, I think you're absolutely right. Intricate. It sounds lovely. It's like I got to lean on my eye a lot yeah. when I do that stuff. And wow, yeah. I'm now seeing like, wouldn't it be nice if I had my eye in the moment, then I could like go back to a pod and be like, I think I kind of like 
sacrificed my status in the service of like authenticity and promoting shame in this way and have people be like, good on you. Yes. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Necessary. Right. Like, mm, I can feel it. It's, um, yeah, it's exciting work. I'm, I'm so enjoyed just being able to make sense of this together with you. Cause like, yeah, me uh, too. Your perspective is just really inspiring and like reminding me of things that I've experienced, but kind of like lost a bit of touch with and just like, yeah, like, yeah. So fun. Beautiful. I, the, I, the last thing I want to touch on with you now is, um, Hansi's idea. I just had Daniel Hansi on the podcast a few weeks ago and his idea that we're living in this age of shame, that the previous cultures were more, uh, directly influenced by fear and coercion of like, you know, like a feudal system than like a traditional religious system tended to guilt a little bit more. Um, and then we're, this modern age shame is really prevalent and that the future issue we might be dealing with he calls sclaven morale which is internalized envy of others so that's like a a problem of like shining too bright and having to feel other pe- people's envy and he, he sees that as being the next age um but yeah just just characterizing i i, I have some slight differences to how he frames it i'm actually writing an article right now of um mapping I think fear of death is at the core of things mm-hmm. beyond that is fear of rejection and being lost from the group. Yeah. And then I, I put shame above true. that and then guilt above that. And so I don't think you can feel guilt without a little bit of shame in it. Like I know Brene yes. Brown separates those two things and I like how leaning more into guilt cause it's an action that you can work with, but I feel that, yeah, shame is at the heart of, of guilt as well. It's just you can feel guilt. Yes. You can't feel uh, guilt without shame, but you can feel shame without guilt. So it's like a deeper thing. I think, um, you know, I talked about like the feeling of shame and the mm. like cognitive thoughts of shame. Yep. And in affect theory, they would call the feeling of shame, shame affect. Yep. And uh, in affect theory, they look at guilt as a combination of shame and fear, I believe. Hmm. But to me, what seems more alive is that shame and guilt, as it's described in the Brene Brown definition, are both shame affect. And all that's really different is the cognitive side. So on the shame side, you're interpreting shame affect as global, permanent, about your core self. And on the other side, you have the same feeling but you're just re- interpreting it differently. And you're saying, oh, this feeling means I made one mistake at that moment in time and it's going to pass. Yeah. So I do agree with you that, that they're essentially the same things. Yes. Um, I don't have like yeah. a, I don't have a super clear view of like the evolution from, well, I will say this, that when we were hunter gatherers, hmm. we lived in a tribe presumably of hundred to 150 people is my understanding. Hmm. That's the thinking. <laughs> and I think in that context, everyone was famous. So you knew everyone and everyone knew you and you had your specific role and you did it and you were appreciated as what you were and you were a necessary part. So it was like everyone was uh, Brad Pitt. Everyone was an Instagram influencer. Everyone had their place. And so when I think shame came up much more irregularly. And when it did, it was very important very sacred. And now because Mm. of the society, it makes complete sense that we have exposure to so many more humans Mm. than we were ever 
evolved to. And um, we want to be known by all of them. Like that's just our instinct says, be known by all of these people to some degree. All of them. So yeah, just like we want respect from everyone. That's just natural, but we can't, that doesn't make sense. So you can see right away that like, it does make sense that just based on this explosion of cultural and technological shifts that have happened in the last couple centuries, that shame is out of sync with how we live. Yeah. And this, this again comes back to this idea of collectives and pods and creating new culture together. I just think it's so critical because we're not only dealing with a really difficult and intricate part of being a human, which is shame, even in a hunter gatherer context, we're also dealing with amplified civilizational shame and trauma of being disconnected, of feeling worthless. And that's only going to get worse. As Harari points out, when the useless class emerges based on algorithms and AI, which is already here, there's going to be an even more pervasive sense of shame because that sense of work, which is where most people hide a lot of their shame, that's going to be gone. So. We've got these layers and and it's almost impossible. No wonder we totally repress it and put it down because it's it's too much to deal with. So we need new culture. We can't just act in our highest potential in what's already there, I feel. It's like that's an impossibility. I feel like that's self-harm expecting us to do that. So mm-hmm. we've got to kind of midwife these new spaces and be protective of them and have a membrane around them without them becoming too in-group or against the out-group or too exclusive. It's a real dance, that. And you definitely do need to have a bar of, of what level of integration you're playing with the people in that space. But you also need to create pathways for other people to integrate that same way to join their own or that community so it's like it's a whole thing you've got to get into but yeah it's it's (laughs) useful to see the civilizational aspects on top and just to see what what we're up against and have some compassion for ourselves for that and like let ourselves slip up i'm giving myself like a couple of years i'm not expecting myself to be like shame fluent just after a breakthrough it's like whoa all right let me let me sit with this for a while and just have a lot of compassion and be like, yeah. yeah, you big dummy. Look what's driving every one of your actions continuously all the time. It's ultimately humbling. I'm starting to see after, after our discussion, my conception of shame is like this ever-present, awesome martial arts training buddy that's going to be like throwing punches at me with love and I can ignore it and just let him hit me in the side of the head. Or I can be like, Hey, continually dodging and dancing while I'm kind of moving through. And, you know, we have breaks sometimes and we can chill, but it kicks back up again pretty quickly before you know what's going on. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. It's a little bit martial arts keep coming up for me a bit. (laughs) Tyson made a joke last week that like, on these podcasts, it's inevitable you end up talking about martial arts, like Lex Friedman and Sam Harris, like talk about their Brazilian jiu-jitsu thing. Maybe I'm falling into that trap. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know enough about martial arts to join in, but uh, I am interested in Aikido. I'm sure there's some like Aikido shame connection that could be found. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I um. Wow. I feel... <laughs> I feel like as soon as I want to state a good feeling, I'm then aware of the new shame dynamic that could come up around that. Like, I feel like it's like quite a psychedelic, it is, for me, it's a psychedelic realization of like 
in every moment. It's almost like seeing the shadow side of creation in every moment, in every action. There's this like hidden part of it. And it's it, it becomes quite a mystical practice for me, actually, because it's so complex and, and so pervasive and ever-present. The intellect can't keep up with the ramifications of it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost this transpersonal gestalt, like, oh, <gasps> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know. And I, I sometimes feel like a puppet and there, there can be a lot of frustration that comes up where I'm like, I'm tired of being cajoled with pleasant and unpleasant. And it it's sometimes I like long to be a sociopath. I long yeah. to get out of that. And then there is no escape. So that can feel like trapped. So it's there's a bit of a curse once you see it uh-huh. and uh-huh. detach yourself from it because you can't really escape it. You have to be in an acceptance space. And sometimes that's hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think that ties in. I keep coming back to a more Buddhist perspective of like life is suffering and that's not bad. That's beautiful, but it's just real. And there's a level of initiation and growing into that more and more of being able to look that directly in the eyes, you know, dispassionately, passionately, all of it together at once. But And there is, there (sighs) is this, there's a way of holding suffering that is... I'm either holding it with acceptance or I'm kind of pushing it away yeah. or like very strongly pushing it away. And I find yeah. that my default to shame is to be kind of pushing it away. And I think that's yes. true for most people. And when I can actually like remind myself to make the switch and just be holding it with acceptance, it is a more acceptable suffering it yes. generally. And sometimes I can't, sometimes it's so powerful the amplitude is so powerful. I cannot accept it. That's happened to me. And I get bowled over and that takes like days <laughs> to, to put myself back together. Mm-hmm. But the more I can catch any negative feeling and be like, am I kind of pushing this away or am I mm-hmm. completely accepting this? That's a really subtle but profound switch. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the life is suffering and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really feeling into that. <sighs> the paradox is it's just so beautiful and sublime when you can melt into the fact that life is suffering. But then also fleeting for me, that doesn't last. I wonder about this archetypal character that's transcended desire and thus probably shame that kind of enlightened, you know, being Buddha perspective and I wonder whether that's a bit a bit dangerous, you know, whether that kind of tries to erase the very nature of our shamey humanity from from ourselves as higher spiritual beings. Mm. It's like enlightenment as sociopathy. You could definitely yeah. make a, a case for that. But I have a sense that, and this gets back to that distinction between like the external shame and the internal shame. I have a sense that we're just programmed that, well, I don't know, maybe there's a way around this, but in the present moment, if someone does something I perceive as rejection or disconnection, Mm. my body creates shame. That's just like what my body has to do so that I, so that I'm reminded that I should, that I need to belong to survive, even if it isn't true in that moment. And then there's all these other shames that are just conditioned into me 
that mm-hmm. were that, but in the past where it's like, oh, you also have to like dress this way and speak this way. And, and that's like these internal, that's that moment that got frozen in my brain. And now I yes. just carry it around and it's a prison I keep myself in. But like these enlightened individuals, I wonder, can they be in a group that is clearly rejecting them and not feel shame? That's what I wonder. I doubt it. My instinct is is no, that that's so strong. But who knows? I don't want to limit the ability of the... Oh, I go two ways with that. Part of me doesn't want to limit it. But another part of me doesn't want to reject what seems like it means to be human and create false ideals and, and things I'm striving towards that aren't real, that, that can actually be harmful in a way, you know? Yeah. I'm kind of yeah. torn there. I think there's more utility for me on the, I'm, I'm working so hard to accept shame that looking ahead to any sense of shame free does not conducive to me accepting my shame in this moment. So yes. that's why I'm sort of like not interested in, that goal um but let's practice let's 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 break through as much as we can and in like five or ten years time what's a hilarious situation that we could put ourselves in that would test that you know like i don't know i guess it's just like running through a rejected by your in your most important people that's that's i mean but you have to really believe it you know rejection from your most important in-group people Yeah, that's a whole nother level. I was going to do it with strangers, but doing it with, yeah. Strangers will probably get you some, but if it's, and this is a whole, like this is a whole other topic, but if you're rejected by people you perceive as your out group, it doesn't create shame. Hmm. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Well, I think it probably does. You're right. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit, but, but you might actually feel shame if you feel accepted by people who are in and out group like oh mm-hmm. no the this the bad people like me that might that it might do so. i just wanted to to pinpoint for people that there are certain humans that you have in your brain as an out group and it kind of flips shame around a bit but you're right there's probably still you know you're right you rejection from other humans that's like kind of a like pretty primal shame it's, inducer it stings a bit like the I'm, I'm th- ah, this beautiful, deep, fully advanced communal initiation we can practice with in like 20 years time. Where like without telling the member, everyone else exactly. in the inner circle shuns them at once and thinks they're ready for it and sets them up to go like deep for that core shame breakthrough. And they either become enlightened or they go insane. <laughs> That's that's some high level shit that's right there. I'm not sure we're ready for it. that just yet. You, it's a it's a total secret. And yes. only the people who've had it done to them know about yes. it. And the moment you learn about it is when it happens to you. Yeah, and you, <laughs> and you set either, them up for you it. You either pass the test or you don't. <laughs> it's yeah, evil. that is evil, but beautiful. That's that's the kind of stuff I want to be playing with. That's what I want to be doing with my time. Ridiculously <laughs> esoteric, high-level personal development initiations <laughs> with coordinated groups of people. But yeah, gosh. well, I'm I'm in, and yes. and I will say this. As I kind of hinted at before, when someone rejects me, and this is also something I've just been thinking about, when someone rejects me, I hypothesize that they are rejecting two things, their own shame yes, and the part of me, the part of them that is like me. Mm. So when I get rejected now, I'm like, yeah, you're rejecting me, but actually we are shadow connected. 
we are shadow connected because I'm connected to the shadow side that you're rejecting and I'm connected to your shame. So Mm. I can kind of use that to um, cognitively talk to my shame and say, yeah, you're feeling shame because you got rejected. But actually, what if I told you that this is shadow connection? Yeah. (laughs) And my shame is sort of like, hmm, interesting. Gets into some manipulative spaces of like the flip side of the understanding and compassion you can have for others is manipulation and it, and like so much of organized religion cashed in on this but i mean mm. the power of understanding how deeply motivated we all are by shame gives you the ability to manipulate to a totally. really really high and dangerous degree and it's but you can manipulate another... yourself uh-huh like if i can actually convince my brain that I am connected to the person who clearly disconnected me. Yes. My body's theoretically not going to produce shame. So there's also this like weird self-manipulation, which is maybe Mm. not healthy either. That's like a, like the slightly dark Jedi trick of like stepping away from it all, but maybe not. I don't know. You'd have to really believe it, but you're right. You can also use shame to manipulate people so easily. Do you have any good examples? Any basic level (laughs) <laughs> like manipulations I mean, we, that are beneficial it's it's worth noting that you know shaming someone can get them to do what you want but there's like an inauthenticity going on there and you might also because you're eroding uh like a need of autonomy in them mm-hmm. you might also create a flip where they're like doing what you want, doing what you want, doing what you want, but it's not authentic. And then they just can't handle the resentment and it flips and they become full autonomy and they just completely reject what you're saying. So it's like using shame to manipulate if it, if it's just like creating inauthenticity is potentially a, not a useful strategy for manipulating people in the long run. But if you can use shame in a way that people convince themselves that like they really do kind of want to be like you, then it's very powerful. Yeah. Wow. I'm left with a, that mystic sense of complexity and awe. this topic. I feel like as soon as I feel like I've got a grasp on it, it gets more interesting and more (laughs) elusive. And I think that's the kind of relationship we're supposed to have with it. Right. Like that must, it's, 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 it's nebulous and shifting and evolving. It's like recursive. It's like a fractal. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And I I guess I just want to welcome that in and, and, and be okay with that and celebrate, um, celebrate that and thank you for holding space for me to uh share my excitement and um share some of my more shameful aspects and also sharing your experience and wisdom around this it's um i'm excited to continue this discussion and yeah to encourage people to get in touch with you and 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 do the work maybe just talk briefly a little bit around like What's that looking like when someone gets in touch with you? What's that What's that process like? And what are you seeing unfurl through coaching them through their shame? It's, it's quite new. It's something I've been doing just this year. And mm-hmm. so I'm like still feeling it out and trying different things. Mm-hmm. But I think at the core, people are getting a sense of 
connection in their shame, which is really Mm -hmm. powerful. Like they're, they are empowered to tell me things that sometimes they've never told to another human. Mm -hmm. And I try to use my nervous system in a place of acceptance and compassion that, that says we can hold this together. And that's just like a, a sense of like, they feel accepted in, yeah. in, in something that they didn't think they could be accepted in. And that's just very healing. And, and is like, sometimes as we talked about earlier, the step that lets them accept it themselves finally, mm-hmm. which can be a, the beginning of a really powerful healing journey as well. And I'll also offer a lot of empathy, like unlike therapy session, this is coaching. So I mm-hmm. bring my full self and, Like if you're coming to me talking about a struggle with some kind of uh, addictive numbing pattern, I'm going to tell you about my addictive numbing patterns. And like, I'm going to join you as much as I possibly can, because I know that that is also like really healing for shame. So I bring a lot of myself into it. So there's like a strong sense of connection, which is a beautiful antidote to shame. There's empathy and acceptance And then I will often take people through what I described for you, which is that process of let's call up a bit of shame and Mm -hmm. let's focus on the body and describe what it feels like with as much compassion as we can and wait for it to clear to equilibrium. And then let's look at the logic left over. How do you feel about it now? So I'll just sort of like, run through that process or at very least describe it to them as I did to you so that they can try it in their own time. And then there's other kind of more experimental things. Like sometimes we'll do these really, and these have been really powerful. These like meditations where I kind of like talk them through some metaphors related to their shame. Hmm. And it, those sessions have been kind of the most magical when we've done a like, meditation together around Mm. their specific shame story Mm. and for some people it's literally just a place where you can get some shame off your chest you can just say the thing that you never get to say to anyone and that's kind of all they want they're just like aj i just want to like unload a bunch of shameful things and have it be heard and seen and not judged and i'm like great i'm here for that so it it depends on the person but that those seem to be kind of the main things that are alive right now Awesome. Thanks so much for coming and spending this time with me, AJ. I really appreciated the conversation. Yeah, I appreciated it so much. I feel like of all the interviews I've done, you really seem to be on the same page. And that's really exciting for me. And um, yeah. so I'm really hope I'm really excited for us to talk more because it's like, yeah, I feel like you really, 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 really get what I have been going through. And mm. that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I feel it. Excited to continue the conversation as well. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. Show notes are available online at www.joelightfoot.org where you can also find more information about my book, A Collective Blooming. Music by Johnny Eagle. Until next time, be well, my friends.